0: life audio
1: then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free
2: do you believe in life after addiction you better believe it now the host of life after addiction
1: yes sir we are back we are back Only one camera angle. What does that mean?
0: Come on, baby. You know that means? We got a guest. We
1: got a very special guest. This is a man that is near and dear to Chitty and I's heart. That's right. He is a member of the warrior class that we've been discussing lately, a combat veteran uh, all the way from the East Coast, Taylor Creech. Welcome to the show, man. Come on.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. How are you? I'm great, man. It's great to see you guys' faces again, face-to-face, um, yeah, face, as it were, digitally. It's yeah. been a while. <laughs> the new to, norm uh, after
1: COVID, right? The digital yeah. face-to-face meeting.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You know, things change and then uh, stay the same in the change. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I, it's been, I've what, to, two years? It's been two years since I was there in the in the lodge, hanging out with you guys for the second time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, two years, two years. I was thinking about it earlier and man, it feels like it's been so much longer. It does. Um, because, and I was trying to describe this to myself and it's like, I haven't been climbing out of a hole, you know, it's been like, he set my feet upon the rock, you know, and mm. there I stand. Mm. So it's like, uh, you know, it's just a different life. It's not like I'm, you know, there's still things that, that I have to repair in my life and God's working to repair
4: Discover how at museum dot org slash impact
3: let 's get to work
1: yeah, man, I want to ask you about your story. Uh, I want you to talk about your testimony, but first, chitty, your favorite
0: Taylor story Uh-oh. from two years ago <laughs> he um... goes oh. I don't know that my, most of my memories are of us in the classroom. Um, and I don't remember like specifics, but I know, man, we were spending quality yeah. time down in that classroom, in the word, in prayer, in worship, um, laughing together, crying together, um, working through some difficult things together. But what I do remember about you is like, you had a genuine desire to know God, yeah, like a genuine, deep desire to know God, and I wish, you know, we all had that. I wish I had that the first couple of times I came through, and there was a desire there. But you were willing to do whatever it took, um, and that really inspired me because you were one from sun up to sundown, man. I am here solely to develop a personal and intimate relationship with my Savior, um, and that's what you did day in and day out, and it was a beautiful thing. Guys like you who come through our program y'all genuinely inspire us when I see men like you in our program getting it and in the word and studying and paying attention in class, paying attention during the sermons. Like that makes me want to get up and go like, man, let's ride, let's ride this thing out. So yeah, I guess just those intimate moments with the Lord we got to share together. Um, it was very special.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And for for me, it wasn't necessarily a single moment, but it was just his leadership. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes if, if you're, (laughs) well, we'll, 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 show you how the sausage is made. If you're, if you're working in addiction recovery, there, it seems like there, at least for us, it seems like there's waves. There's times when a house, a full house and they're all on fire. And there's yeah. times when it's like, man, they're all just not wanting to be here. And then it's a mixed bag. Sometimes. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember, I don't know if you came when you were here, there was maybe some younger guys or whatever, but it was probably one of those mixed bag, bag moments of guys wanting to be here, guys not wanting to be here. And I just remember your walk. As Chitty was saying, just your hunger and your desire. Like, Hey, I'm not here to play games. I'm I'm here. I don't wanna be here, right? I don't wanna be I didn't plan vacation in Woodbury, Tennessee. Yeah. Uh but I'm here to do work. And I don't know, man. Your your leadership, it seemed like guys would turn and see that just like he was saying. Mm-hmm. You inspired him, me. And I don't know. It was just really cool. And that's what I remember most was just your Consistency. Consistency, your leadership and your hunger for the things of God and how contagious that was. Yeah. So man, that's good memories of Taylor. So that's awesome, guys. Uh, I, yeah, man. I appreciate so, that. You're you're welcome. So so tell us a little bit of your story, um, as much or as little as you want to tell. Okay. Um, and and yeah, let's let's hear your testimony.
3: Okay. Um, I'll I'll fast forward it pretty quick through the first uh, forty years or so. But um, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a a preacher in Houston. Um, he retired from preaching. No, he didn't retire from preaching. He just did his last, his, he just finished an interim pastor job, uh, yesterday that he had been doing for a year. He's retired from a seminary professor. He's retired from full-time pastor work, but he was a pastor when I was young, since the age of, uh, four probably until I was out of the house. He was a full-time minister at a pretty large church. So I, you know, as, Typical, um, a couple ways typical of a pastor's kid is that I I came to Christ at a young age. I don't have a great recollection of that. I was probably eight years old when I got baptized. I believe that that took, you know, as they say, um, it was real. Um, I never imagined anything but God and Jesus. You know, that that was my life. That's the way I was, which is a dangerous place to be also for a pastor's kid. Because at about the age of 12, that was just so normal to me. Um, that it was always in my back pocket, you know. And so um, I started um, living a life that did not align with that. Um, got kicked out of school, uh, just always getting in trouble. But I was a good kid, you know, for the most part, other than, you know, getting arrested and things like that. Got into a life of uh, just hanging with the wrong crowd, man. Uh, plain and simple, that's, that's, what it, that's where it stems from. You know, Psalms 1 says, uh, it talks about standing, uh, it talks about standing or walking, and then standing, and then sitting with the with the sinners, with the scoffers, with the mockers, and that's what it was. You, that's that slow road of like, hey, I'm, I'm now I'm standing over here, and now I'm walking with these guys, and now I've planted myself. Whereas then it um, talks about the opposite of that is like the righteous man planted by the rivers of water and a tree mm-hmm. that brings forth fruit in due season. So I was walking, standing, and sitting in the wrong places. Um, got me into a lot of trouble and started a life of addiction at a very young age at 12 years old. Um, and I was in and out, you know, my, my faith walk from there on was in and out. I joined the army at 25 years old after, uh, doing carpentry for a while running my own business. I was ready for somebody to tell me what to do for a while. So I joined the army. I've been in the army for going on 17 years now. Uh, I'm looking at retiring at 20 and, um, I uh, let's see. It, it was that it was that same up and down the whole time I've been in somewhere throughout my army career. Um, I got back into drinking pretty heavily. And in I don't know, 2016, 17 is when it just really started going down. And I was um, I was an instructor at the Special Warfare Center in school here in Fort Bragg. I live in North Carolina and um, I spent a lot of time by myself in that role. Uh, just me and students, or just me behind the scenes working with students, and um, and I was drinking myself to death. You know, I didn't get to work before seven thirty because the beer store wasn't open until seven, um, and that was that was my day in and out. I've got to the place where I kind of rejected my um, my faith, not to the point where I was adamant against it, but to the point where I just didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to do anything about it. Um, I've been blessed with an extremely godly wife since a very young We were high school sweethearts, almost middle school sweethearts. <laughs> and um, and she prayed for me. She prayed for me hard, and she she sought out a place where I could regain that faith, where I could be set free from alcohol. And, um, and we tried everything, man. And what I've experienced in watching people go through life, really just life in general, not addiction, but everybody's searching for peace, man. Everybody's just searching for peace. And that's what I was searching for too. Um, But I was searching for it in ways that it would quickly come to me, you know, sitting out in the woods, drinking by myself. That was very peaceful. Then getting in the car and driving home from that, not so peaceful anymore. So it was very short-lived peace, which led to destruction. Um, So my wife um, came across this place called Spring to Life Recovery in Tennessee, and i was willing you know i was i was just ready to die at any given yeah. moment like i don't want to be in this world anymore um so can I, I was stop willing. You? can to i stop do you something. just for a second
1: yep because i mean we're at a moment that i think beneficial practical for the for our listeners and we've had some pictures come up uh, as you were talking of of just you in uniform and stuff like that how was it was there was there a season if you're like chitty and like myself uh we've talked about it before but was there a season of I'm putting the mask on. No one knows. I'm I'm hiding it. I'm living the double life. I know you said you're at work at 730 because the beer store opened then, or was it always just out in the open for you? Was it you kept it secret for a while and you hid it for a while so you could maintain this life of chaos? Or was it always like everyone always knew I was just a train wreck heading for the dead end?
3: Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both because the uh, environment that I was in it was so normal. I give you a couple examples oh. and one that kind of set me free to uh to drink in the morning was my first line supervisor was talking to me one morning at work and he was like, "Yeah, I was sitting out on my dock having a beer this morning." And I was like, "That's, you know, odd, but, you know, it's not odd in that culture." Um mm. and that kind of freed me out to be like, "I can do that too." Um yeah. but but everyone I worked with was I mean, if you want to call it alcoholism, whatever, but on some spectrum of it, you know, whether they, everybody drank, almost everybody drank. If you didn't drink, you were weird. Um, Mm. I was, I took it to the extreme in that, you know, everybody kind of had their rules. Like I wouldn't drink during work or I wouldn't drink during important parts of work. Yeah. Um, We had our
1: rules. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Uh, So, so there was a little bit that was uh, hidden behind the scenes, but there was a lot more that was out in the open. Um, yeah. and when I did, you know, come to the point where I needed to help, I remember talking to, um, the, the master sergeant that worked with me. I was like, Hey man, I, I first self-enrolled in an army program. And I think that's kind of an important part of my story. Um, is I in, in, in this spectrum of seeking out help. That was my first, one of my first steps was I got a problem. I'm going to see what the army can do to help. They've got lots of programs, um, that are designed to help guys. So I self enrolled in that and I told my boss, Hey man, I self enrolled in that and he he was kind of like, Why? Like do you mm-hmm. drink a lot? And I was like, Well, I drink this much. And he was like, Oh. Cause he drinks more than me, right? So he's like kind of confused about why I think I have a problem and, and he doesn't think he has a problem. So mm-hmm. no, it was pretty pretty prevalent in the
1: community. And what kind of things did they teach at the at the army? Was it just a typical twelve step? meeting type thing or was there more of a more of a trauma type based
3: i didn't get that far in it because uh i went in for a self-referral and had my initial consultation with the guy and he deemed that i was a risk and so he turned my self-referral into what they call a command referral so he called my commander and uh and my sergeant major which was fine because i had already told them uh but he made it a mandatory like army requirement that i do this my commander and sergeant major didn't agree with it, so my commander wouldn't sign the form. Um, so th- that program within the Army, which is like the baseline program, is really um, punitive in nature. Mm. It's, a, it's a solution for commanders to uh, kind of sign off, saying that I recognize this guy had a problem, he got in trouble, we sent him to the program, and now my hands are clean of this.
1: I got you. Makes sense.
3: So when it came time to to go somewhere else like the, the first time um and the second time that i looked at going to s2l um and some other places actually this place right here treehouse recovery um i've developed a relationship with those guys over the years um, is that in texas it they it's in california okay and they've just recently opened one up in wilmington it's not a faith-based recovery um it's kind of different but there's some some good Christian guys who work over there, and um, we've developed a relationship over the years because they've stayed in contact with me. Uh, but the Army said, hey, man, yeah, we'll pay for that for you to go there. But when the rubber met the road, um, they said I had to fail that punitive program first before they would pay for it. So what does that mean? I'm dead in a ditch, failed that program.
1: Yeah, isn't that crazy? That, yeah. I mean, that's the – not only is that, I guess, the military or the Army's mentality, but that's also – insurance companies mentality and that's what
3: it was that's all it is
1: it's crazy to me it's like hey and (laughs) to get them the help they need let's put them somewhere that they that is very low success for someone coming straight out of addiction into an iop type program but in order for us to cover it to get the help you need you need to fail and just like you said man a lot of those guys don't make it in a lot of those failings is a funeral and that's so absurd to me you're gonna get me fired up taylor I mean, the way that how backwards the system is, and it's all what a money grab. It's all a the cheaper option first, although it doesn't matter what the people that are actually working with the guys, boots on the ground, face to face, it doesn't matter what they say this guy needs. It's all a bottom line. And it's all I mean, it really is disgusting that that's how our systems are set up. That we need someone to fail at something to get them the actual help. Everyone knows that inpatient is going to be radically more successful on average than some kind of other program. And that failing is funerals, man, for a lot of people. There's guys, S2L was founded on a guy that was supposed to go into a rehab the next morning, and he passed away never made it in. An and a pastor at a church was like, hey, what's the church doing? Not enough. It's time. And so he founded S2L and things like that. And that happens all the time, man. Guys are going into rehab or just a, I don't know, that that bothers me. and I, I yeah. really trying to change the game. And and I think God is, is moving in a big way. And I think maybe in a few years we'll see some, some different things. Sorry. You're going to get me going on rabbit trails now.
3: No, (laughs) I'll give you a, a little bit of positive hope there. Um, in my man, God has just put me in such a unique place in my career to build relationships in all different realms and, uh, have the freedom to like roll it into my line of work and say like, this is part of my job description that I've created. Um, and one of those is working with uh, the Special Operations Command Care Coalition, um, who are advocates for wounded warriors. And, um, and they helped me uh, get reimbursed for some of my expenses. Um, and then with Treehouse Recovery, so I sat down with those guys, introduced the two of them, and had a meeting with their directors. And we were talking this same thing. And uh, they're developing some kind of white papers, you know, to say like, Hey, look at the results of this. If we send some, somebody somewhere where they get the help they need overall, the, the cost is, it's more cost effective and we can get a guy back into the fight quicker than we could. If we went through this, Hey, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. You're, you're losing the guy from service for a longer period of time than you would if you sent him away for 30, 60, 90 days. And, um, it's cost less overall. Yeah. I, (laughs) I mean, gosh,
1: logic Taylor, I'd hate that. I'd hate for the world to use logic. When yeah, working, so so it know? is in the works. You know, I don't <laughs> yeah. know
3: uh, how long that will take, but I, it's in the works. Yeah, yeah.
1: Awesome, awesome. Continue. Sorry, I, I'll, okay. I'll stop you if, if need be. But yeah, didn't mean to take you away. Um,
3: so I basically, you know, we, we all get the the addiction that led me down a, a trail of dark, deep despair. Thing we've lived that, um, and then my hope was, you know, the. So I said, Hey, I've got, I've got nothing left to lose. I've, I've sought peace everywhere else and I haven't found it. I don't know how to get back to Jesus. I don't even know if he's real to me anymore. Hmm. And, uh, but I was willing, you know, that's, that's all, all there was to it. That was just a little bit of willingness to go somewhere and get away. So my wife found Spring to Life Recovery, called you guys, talked to you on the phone and I was in there in a few days. Um, I don't remember who picked me up from the airport that first time. It might have been you, Ryan, and uh, maybe Russ. I don't remember. But, yeah, uh, I'm not anyway. sure if
0: it was me or not. Hefe, maybe somebody.
3: Yeah, so my first um, – so I came into S2O thinking I can get sober. I can stay sober for 42 days. That's not a problem, you know, and I want that. I want to be locked in a cabin in the woods with no ability to access these things. But I don't know if I can get Jesus back. I don't know mm-hmm. – if I can find that desire in my heart again. And, uh, man, I'm <laughs> I'm going to try not to tear up here, but I was in uh, Adam's class on a Monday morning. This was the first time that I came to S2L. It was about three, three and a half something years ago. And uh, Adam, the way we started class on a Monday morning was just lights down, turn a song on, turn a video on. And it was uh, uh, David Crowder, How He Loves, was the song that he put on and about, I don't know, 10 years prior, maybe six, seven years prior to that, that had been a real important song in my life. Mm. And uh, I had, by this point in my life, I had had cut worship music out of my life. You know, anything related to God was out of my life. And that song came on and it was like God just grabbed a hold of my heart and squeezed it and said, I remember you. I know you, you know, Mm. Uh, you may not think you know me, but I know you. And I couldn't sit in there for like the rest of the week. Like anytime, like that we started just getting into, I mean, talking conversations about God, which was every morning I had to step out and just bawl my eyes out. Um, and it was like immediate, you know, God's like all this that you've done in the past, good and bad. It's not for nothing. Mm. Um, you're not starting back at square one. You know, I've, I've used your past to build you to the man you are today, despite the enemy's best efforts otherwise. And, and here we are, and we're ready to get going. Um, so, In the darkest man, just, season
1: of your life, God whispers I love you to the deepest part yeah. of your soul. In the <laughs> darkest season of your life. Mm, that's amazing.
3: So from from there I mean that was the, probably the best 42 days of my life up to that point I uh, went returned home into a a perfect storm of covid uh just starting I got home got plugged into a church um was on the right track there was two things well there was there were several things actually that, that went wrong <laughs> um, first of all was just the perfect storm of COVID, you know, and, and the fellowship that it broke there, the church that I was in was took a hard line stance with the government and, uh, and shut down. And I was getting out of my word and obviously out of fellowship, out of prayer uh, at S2L. Well if you guys don't know, or you guys do, but for the listening audience, uh, one of the, the greatest things that you guys I still use this example with folks today and they've never heard it is the pillars, you know, of, of fellowship, prayer, word and service. And, uh, Two of the, One of those pillars gets shaky, it gets shaky. Two of those pillars get shaky, you're probably not going to stand. If three of those pillars fall down, um, so do you. And that's what happened to me. Um, and one of the biggest things for that was going right back to work. I thought, I'm better now. I can get back to this same job that I was doing before and do the same things, go to the same places. And man, it just doesn't normally work like that. Um, there's a Shane Bernard song that I love. It's called Everything is Different. It's an old one and uh for me that's what it had to be you know everything had to be different so i i fell back into not as bad as before but it was bad enough where like i just needed to to get away again and that took about a year maybe a year and a half uh before i was back on the phone with you guys and said i need to i need a reboot man i need to come over there and uh, refresh myself and get this right this time and the second time i came there was very different in um because of the state I was stepping in there too. I had found a church through COVID that I got plugged into that was meeting. Um, and I started serving in small tasks there and things. Um, so I was, I was searching after God, but I was putting myself in places where I just couldn't do that effectively. Um, and when I got back the second time, based on the way God arranges people and life circumstances, there was a house full of guys That was just ripe for me to develop my leadership in this realm. The army had helped me develop leadership skills throughout, um, but I had no spiritual leadership skills. And uh, I spent that that next 42 days there. um, and, And I wasn't this was not on my mind, but it was guys would come up to me and tell me, hey, man, you're not here for yourself. You're here for me. And, uh, that just blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, I had several guys tell me that and they made me, you know, the house captain, which was, you know, a, a young guy would get like, Oh no, I gotta be house captain. I'm like, man, I'm a 15 years in the military. This is yeah. fun. <laughs> um, so I just got to, you know, lead Bible studies while I was there. I got to one of the best, get to play worship music for the guys in the morning mm. before after breakfast. That's That's right. Right. I forgot you played. That's right. And, uh, it was just a blessing, man. So, so when I left there that time, Uh, recognizing that everything had to be different, recognizing that element of service. I went straight to my pastor and said, hey, this is what I've seen and experienced. This is what I got to do. I have a heart for this. And um, so we started a a small recovery group at church. And really, like over the past two, two and a half years, the church, the love for God's church, not, not my local church, although that's where I'm at, but the love for the church in general has consumed my life and i can't imagine life without that and it's hard sometimes i'm sure you yeah, know man. this
1: yeah man but you
3: you take out this big thing that i thought was so you know like once i remove addiction from my life everything's good that is just the tip of the iceberg of sanctification and uh and i love it but that seems so easy now it's like get rid of that stuff so we can get to work and man um yeah. but yeah consumed with love for the church i've i've been asked to do So many things within the body that, that I never, you know, imagine I've taken on a men's ministry. I've taken on the, the addiction program. I'm now, our worship pastor has departed to another church, which was great for him and, and, uh, and done in the right way. But I've taken on, on the, I'm the worship leader for the church now on a pretty regular basis, at least three weekends a month. Um, I have a home group at my house, a family life group, um, I help out with the youth and I lead worship for the youth on Sunday nights. Uh, My wife on Christmas day, I just, just the amazingness of God. Okay. There was four years ago, five years ago too, six years ago too. I could not imagine picking up a guitar and playing a worship song again (laughs) on Christmas day. My wife and I led worship together. You know, I was playing guitar. She was playing guitar and we were singing songs, sharing songs together for our congregation. And it was just like, Oh man, what have you done? God, like (laughs) immeasurably more uh, than all I can ask or imagine.
1: Yeah, man. i remember, I don't want you to chime in here in just a second, but I just remember, and, and hopefully we can find it. We're playing it in the background now, but I just remember, uh, seeing a video of you in the pulpit, um, bringing, uh, Hey, to your church, Hey, we're starting this group and you were vulnerable and you're very good communicator. Uh, you probably should be, uh, not only leading worship, but bringing the word every now and then, giving your pastor a rest. But, uh, I don't know, man, just seeing that video and how just communicating and you could tell at that moment, I don't even know how long before all this. I mean, obviously it was after your second come through, but I could just tell, man, this is God's using this man in a mighty way. You had no fear, at least it didn't show. You spoke with authority from the word of God. And, yeah, man, I know that there was a season, as we've taught before, that you you had a group of guys that were coming in, and you were encouraging to take your mask off, and, and you start you know sharing your own testimony and stuff like that. So I remember that. Uh, and I knew at that moment, I was like, okay, I think I shared it with the team at S2L, and everybody was fired up for you.
0: Yeah. There's so much there that I want to touch on, man. Um for one i remember how big of a deal it was for you when you picked that guitar back up and started to play worship at s2l i knew that was a massive massive breakthrough in and of itself Uh, we had many conversations about your kids and your wife And you spoke so highly of your wife um, and how much she loved the Lord and how much you had put her through and how much she had prayed over you. So just you just blessed me to hear that, man, y'all worship, led worship (laughs) together for Christmas, because, man, I remember the other side of that and what it used to look like, man, when addiction had its grips in you. Um, So, man, just the clarity and confidence that you speak with now, man, and how even just we we briefly talked before we got on air on this podcast and you're like, man, I've been like thriving is essentially what you were saying. I'm not just like clawing my way up this, you know, treacherous hill. It's like, man, the Lord has placed and established my feet on the rock. And it feels good. Like you said, man, there's difficult days that don't mean there's not, but there's an underlying joy. There's an underlying peace. There's an underlying confidence that's always there and it remains. So, man, it blesses me to hear you speak um, from the position in which you are now. Something I wanted to ask, man. And you briefly touched on it, but when you left here the second time, kind of describe those first, I don't know, three months, six months. But I feel like that's where a lot of guys go off course because, man, it doesn't feel like it does back home like it was at S2L. You're around guys who are, you know, showing you love and we're we're praying together. We're seeking the Lord together and we feel uh, forgiven. We feel redeemed. We feel renewed and our brothers are encouraging us. And then we get back home and for, for a lot of our families, the healing starts when we get there when we've had like this expedited process of healing because man, I got to go away from the world and silence the noise of of this world for 42 days and seek the Lord. And for most of our families, man, they still been going to work. They've been taking care of the kids. They've been paying the bills. They've been, That's right. so talk about that first three to six months once you left and how did you weather the storms? How did you navigate communicating with your wife and building back trust and work and all those things without it like deterring you?
3: Yeah. Um, I would like to say, you know, I did it perfectly, but I did not. And and you brought up a good point there of, um, that was hard for me to realize is, um, and I tell folks all the time, anyone would benefit from something like S2L because it's Amen. not about like we don't, s- people have this conception of what a, re- a recovery program would be like. We don't sit around and talk about drugs and alcohol all day. We sit around and talk about Jesus all day. Amen. And anyone who's a Christian would benefit from that. Um and so, having the blessing of being able to do that for at least forty-two days straight, and then coming back into the real world, um, yeah, it was a, a challenge for me to to handle that correctly with with my wife and with my kids and and things like that. Obvi- obviously, I was a, a better husband and father than than I was before. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to put a finger on really, like um, just recognizing those moments of. Of I, I got to do something really special in doing that 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 uh, my wife didn't have the ability to do because she was covering for me back home and being sensitive to that I think is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that three to six month period that you talk about of where it's real important to get back into, I was blessed to be able to jump right into um, a men's Bible study that had just started the day I like two days at when I after I got back I got back on a yep. Sunday on Tuesday. I was doing every man a warrior with some guys at church, uh, which is a great program, um, for, for some folks, some folks don't like it too much, but, um, it was great for the season of life I was in right then getting into scripture, memorizing scripture. And then just, like I said, getting plugged into the church, you know, just offering my services in any realm that I could. And, and, um, and just making that the core of my, my life and my, my family and my church. And, um, just recognizing where my identity lies, and it doesn't lie in, in what I do for a living. This is you, you guys. Unfortunately, like I know, to the as we, the civilian world, like folks want to hear about the military and they want to hear about that stuff, and uh, that's just so minimal to me mm. in my life mm. because it's it's something that I do, but it's not who I am, and it's that's very rare for this this line of work that I'm in. In uh, I work in the special operations community, and uh, people. When they put this green beret on their head, they say, I am a green beret. I am uh, an SF guy and I am not. They said, what makes you an SF guy is a a truck, a Harley and a divorce. Uh, And I don't have any of those things. So I don't make a very good SF guy. Thank the Lord. I don't have any of those things. Well, I mean, I wouldn't mind a truck or a Harley, I guess, but <laughs> yeah. maybe one day. Definitely yeah. the more. I don't hey, I'm going to ask you in just question. a second.
1: Yeah, I think you did, and I'm going to touch on his mm-hmm. question, too, of what I've gathered. But in a minute, uh, I'm going to ask you your final, uh, what advice would you give to someone um, who's out there struggling or maybe just left rehab? But before that, I think what I identified in his conversation of the first three to six months was exactly what he said, but the first go-around, COVID hit, no church, went back to work too early, and the second time around, he plugged in and had community, godly community right away, right away, and he saw the value in it, he saw the importance of it, and he didn't just go to try to be... uh, A fly on the wall. Right, he wanted Mm -hmm. to engage, he he loved the Lord at this point, and so... If you're listening, I mean, obviously that might be his advice. I'm stealing from him now, but you've got to you, – fellowship. you got to have fellowship. you got to engage. You have something to offer. Uh, people at home, it, it's it, – I know the mindset, and we talk about it a lot, and I know the mindset is is – Man, you've got to go and, and they're the perfect church. They're they're man, they're all together. No, 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 no. What I've learned in over a decade of doing this is everyone's jacked up. Whether they've yeah. come to rehab, done a drug, smoked that's a cigarette, right. or had a drink ever in their life, everyone's jacked up, and everyone needs each other. Like God made us. That's why. That's why before the fall of Genesis three, God said that it was good that there was a, a helper for Adam. Yeah. That was pre sin. So it was good. It was bad that he was alone. So God made us to be communal and in fellowship and do life with each other. And so go and engage with a group of believers if you're struggling and you're, and you're out there. Uh, and don't just sit there. Engage. Hey, I'm struggling with this. Anyway, so final thoughts for you, encouragement for someone maybe struggling out there. Or maybe they just got out of rehab and they're scared to death or something like that. Any final thoughts?
3: Yeah. Um I would offer two two very practical things that have come to me. One was as soon as I got out of recovery, and two has been over the past year um, after I've been out and moving forward kind of in sanctification. But the first is um, having Scripture hidden in your heart that you might mm-hmm. not sin against God. Um, even if it's just a verse, man, I'll tell you one verse that got me through so much hard times um, was Romans 8, 6, the mindset on The flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. And that, that life and peace is what I was after, but what I was finding was death. And I found that, uh, and you guys know too, that in this struggle um, against at sin and against addiction, it all starts right in our mind with a thought mm. that, you know, that may happen in the shower one day, and then I don't drink for 10 days, you know, but that it happened 10 days ago in the shower when I started letting my thoughts go astray. Um, And so what I recognized is I could use that verse as a battle verse that just I'm driving in the car and I recognize my mind is flipping to something that it shouldn't be. And I could just out loud the, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. And that helped me to refocus my thoughts, not on things of this world, but on things above. Um, And that was that was huge over the first year of my struggles, man, there's there's so much practical kind of stuff that I can say and uh, Mm, boundaries that you can set for yourself. But that was my biggest, I would say my biggest kind of spiritual check on myself there. And, And I got to the point sometimes where it would happen. And I would say it out loud. And I would think, man, I haven't said that in a while. And I got to be careful. And so that caused me to look at myself and look at my walk and uh, look at how much I've been in the word and, and in prayer and things like that. Um, the second that has been really practical over the past year for me, um, I did a deep dive into Genesis with Genesis 1 through 11 specifically with my family life group. And uh, and I was going to do like a video study and I was like, nah, let me just dive this for myself. And I used a lot of resources, uh, really getting into the original language and stuff. It is yeah. amazing, foundational mm. for the rest of Scripture. But one of the things that, that I practically to take away from that, because there's a lot of stuff that you can't practically take away or that's hard to kind of like apply, uh, but was just being the image of God that we were created to be. And so we talk about recovery. I'm not a recovering alcoholic. I'm more like a recovering human. I'm trying to recover that image of God in my mm. life. And on a day-to-day Come basis... On recognizing that God created me, not the image of God that, that I can think like God, that I can, uh, have relationships, but that I'm a projection of God into the world around me, that it's almost like I'm a filter with God's and the scripture talks about this in the new Testament too, is, you know, let your light shine before men. That light is God's light shining through me. It's like God is projecting an image of himself to the world through me as a minister of reconciliation. Like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, he says, we are God's minister, as God was making his appeal through us, be reconciled mm-hmm. to God. And that really, um, keeping that in the forefront of my mind, helps me with everyday interactions with humans. This thing that we're doing here on earth, that God created us to do, is all about relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes it really hard. So, but... But if we keep that in our mind, as is, is, I'm projecting God to the people around me, to the to the to my yard. You know, the way I care for my yard, the way I care for my neighbor, the way I care for my wife, the way I care for my children, um, the way I talk to the, the gas station attendant, hmm. um, things like that. So, yeah, yeah man. memorizing I scripture and Praise being God, that yeah. that projection of God to the world around us. I love that battle verse. I love
1: that. Praise God. I need to connect you and Jeremy, uh, the guy that uh, recently has just become a good buddy, Jeremy Stalnecker. I think you guys could do some big kingdom work together. Final thoughts from you.
0: Man, I'm just so encouraged listening to you, dude. Yeah, like I you mean. have no idea like you are oozing the spirit of God, man. Like I can I can feel the Lord just using you, speaking through you. The joy that you have, the peace that you have. That's one of the most beautiful things about working here is like I get to see guys from day 1 when none of that is there whatsoever and then to see it supernaturally just all over you 2 years later praise god for what he's done in your life man i'm super encouraged just hearing you bro yeah
3: and same to you guys i was uh listening to your podcast the other day and i hadn't heard you speak in a while ryan and uh and i knew you several many years ago i guess now and uh and you were walking the walk at that time but you have grown so much in your faith knowledge and understanding in the past few he? years that i was like man that guy's a preacher right there big time big time
0: <laughs> well thank yeah. you man i appreciate yeah. that
1: big time check this out you ready yeah from the darkest season of your life 7 a.m at the beer store Come on. <laughs> to scripture toting pulpit yeah. grabbing worship leading mighty man of valor that's life after addiction and you better believe it
0: come on mm.
2: amen Thank you for listening to this episode of Life After Addiction. Life After Addiction is a production of S2L Studio. For more Christ-centered addiction recovery resources, please visit s2l.net. That's S, the number two, L.net. For more information about S2L's licensed and accredited residential program, please visit S2LRecovery.org. That's S, the number two, L.Recovery.org.
1: We want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Life After Addiction podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of their faith-centered podcasts and their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and much more. Thank you so much for listening today, and God bless.